Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MB. Our crime case for today is about Albert Thomas. I've entitled this episode, It Always Comes Out in the Wash. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Thomas was born September 20th, 1953 in Hallandale, Mississippi. Albert's personality was what I would call a all-around good person. He always was very kind, quick to help others, and just was the guy you could count on to be the nice guy who pretty much got along with everybody. While Albert was in high school, he met a young lady named Helen, and they quickly fell into love young puppy love that is and while still in high school Helen actually got pregnant with their first child Tasha. After giving birth and finishing high school they got married and instead of going to college as many of his peers did Albert simply decided to get a factory job because he realized that he had a family that he had to that he had to provide for, and that was very important to him. And he quickly became the breadwinner as his wife enjoyed staying at home with her children and raising them. Being a good provider is not just providing financially, but it's looking for new opportunities to enhance the life of your family, right? So Albert decided to go and become a truck driver. So he went to truck driving school and received his CDL license and began his career as a truck driver. And many of you know that when a person's a truck driver, they're away from home for extended periods of time. They have a set schedule on when they'll be away, but let's just say in a week for three of those days, they're on the road traveling, delivering various goods And they won't be home until the next four days. And kind of they switch off on cycles like that. And that can create a lot of strain in a marriage. You know, having to, it's one thing when your spouse works outside of the home and you're a stay-at-home mother. But you can still count on them to come home every evening and kind of help with the routine of dinner time and bedtime. But Not having them there for days upon time can be very stressful and it can create a lot of strain on the marriage. And unfortunately, that's exactly what it did for Helen and Albert. They decided after 20 years of marriage that they wanted to separate and eventually that evolved into a divorce. Tasha, their first child, um, reveals in her interview that While she was a child, this just was such a devastating event for her. And if you know anything about divorce, they say that divorce has devastating impacts on children. Like you can have an impact all the way into your 50s if you do not deal with that event and how and what it did to you, especially for children. And Tasha kind of just recounted how traumatic that was for her and her siblings because they had to adjust to then splitting their time with their dad and then splitting their time with their mom. And she said it just was very tough. But she recounts that as she's gotten older, she understands that they felt like that was the solution for them. And she didn't. You know, she didn't fault them for doing that, but she recognized that it did have a cascading effect on her life and the life of her siblings. So Albert is such a good worker. Um, I want to mention his work ethic because that is something that was highlighted by his supervisors and everyone who was around him. 
Albert really had a great work work ethic and you could count on him to do his job. Okay. And do it with a good attitude. And I think that being a part of the baby boomer generation, which he absolutely was, he was born in 1953. That is something that our society just doesn't have the luxury of saying about the generations after. There has not been a good emphasis put on showing up to work, having a good attitude and doing a good job. You know, and so I was very impressed, but not necessarily surprised by all the um, commenting on his work ethic and his personality just being he wanted to please his boss. He wanted to do a good job. He wanted to provide for his family. So after his divorce and adjusting to his life and raising his kids, because at this time, when he meets back up with an old acquaintance, his children are now grown. And he decided to stay in um, Hallandale, Mississippi, and continue his career as a truck driver, even after raising his children. That is when he meets an old acquaintance named Lorianne. Lorianne and Albert knew each other from childhood, and they simply just lost touch because Lorianne and her family moved to California. Lorianne is described as quiet, go with the flow type of personality, reserved, but she definitely was a very pretty woman. Men chase after her all the time because of her looks, but overall, to characterize her personality, she was just simply quiet, you know, and didn't make a whole lot of noise and went with the flow. Exactly what I said before. So let's kind of backtrack and discuss Lorianne's background before she met back up with Albert. In her 20s, she's living in California and Lorianne gives me the impression that she's the type of woman who just absolutely loves love. And, you know, she, have you ever met that person where, you know, they just, ooh, chat, they always in a relationship. They always are in love with somebody. And that was Lorianne. I think that that has its own drawbacks, but I think that it can be a good thing, right? And so she just wanted to fall in love with somebody, settle down, get married, and have children. But unfortunately, she just kept kissing frogs. But out of that relationship, or those relationships, I should say, she was able to have two sons, and their names were Tremaine and Raydale. Eventually, though, she did finally meet her prince, Charming, at 31 years old, and his name was Alan. Alan was a truck driver. He had a very calm disposition. I would say that it's comparable to um, Lorianne's personality, very quiet, go with the flow. And they were married for about 10 years, experiencing the peaks and valleys that you experience when you get married. Because we all know, and if you don't know, marriage is hard work and you got to be willing to put in the work. They started to have some financial problems, and I've done enough true crime cases, watched enough true crime cases to know that when you start having financial problems in your marriage, two things show up. Either one, an affair is already there, right? Or it's soon to follow, or murder is on somebody's mind, or it's coming up, right? And that doesn't mean that just because you, as a listener, may be having financial problems with your spouse, that they're going to kill you. That does not mean that or that they're having an affair. It's just my observation that in a lot of these crime cases that I've watched, that seems to be the rule more than it is the exception. And for Alan and Lorianne's story, this was the case. They were having financial problems. They couldn't get it together. They weren't agreeing. They were just having a lot of issues. And they both decided that they needed to take a break from their marriage. 
So instead of going down and properly separating, they decided, you know, you just go your way. We'll remain married. We won't get a separation on on the books. But, you know, you go your way. I go my way. And maybe if we meet back up in the middle, we can try to work it out. And that's exactly what they did. And Lorianne started to have an affair with this guy. It wasn't necessarily identified if she started this affair prior to their um separation or break but I assume that it more than likely was already going on when they agreed to have their break situation and as a result of this affair in 1993 when they were on their break Lorianne gave birth to a baby girl named Brianna so Lorianne and Al and Alan eventually get back together and Alan decides that his relationship with Lorianne is so important to him that he's willing to kind of like bite the bully, so to speak, and raise Brianna with Lorianne, but not out of contempt. He really wants to continue their marriage, but also wants to be a father to Brianna because apparently the person that she had the child with was not present. And as things start to get back on track for them and their marriage and everything seems to be going well and their marriage is is now blossoming into something different but good. In 1996, just three years after Brianna is born, Alan is shot in an apparent carjacking. So... It's like, what? And police never find out, even though they conduct an investigation, they never find out who did it. They never found out, you know, what was the cause of it. And so they assume that it was just a random act of violence in an unfortunate situation that happened. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. After Albert is shot and murdered um, from this apparent carjacking, it leaves Lorianne in this very unusual situation, a situation she's never been in before. Lorianne never had a job, ever. She was used to being a stay-at-home mom with her husband, Alan. And I assume prior to her relationship with Alan, she had others taking care of her financially. So when Alan dies, she's placed in this position where she now has to be the financial provider, not just for herself, but for her young daughter, Brianna. Because by this time and during the time that she meets Alan, her two boys grow up and they are out of the household, especially by the time that Alan is murdered. And so she just is having a difficult time trying to figure out how is she going to provide for her child. And instead of getting a traditional job, she um, is propositioned by one of her friends. And her friend said, yeah, you know, hey, my parents are older. I told them about your situation and trying to find, you know, work. And they love your cooking so much because she had cooked for her friend's parents before. They are wanting to invite you to come live with them in an exchange for giving you like free room and board and some money from time to time, you can just be essentially a glorified maid, right? You would clean up, you would manage the household, all things that Lorianne was already used to doing because she had been doing it for 10 plus years with Alan. And Lorianne says, okay, this is a good deal. Like my child can be in a good school district because, um, they lived in a nice home surrounded by a good neighborhood. So the school district was what was good. And she felt like, okay, and I'll get money from time to time. And while this is not a traditional way of bringing in money, this is a good temporary fix to her problem. 
That is when she meets Albert. She goes down to Mississippi to visit friends and family. And that's when she reconnects with Albert. And just in the three weeks that she was there to only visit, they get engaged. And then later on, you know, after becoming engaged, just and it was a short engagement, Albert moves to California and they get married in a small chapel in California. So everything is like going like for them at a accelerated pace. But I want to say that when you get older and they were about in their mid 40s to 50s, the courtship process usually isn't that long because by then you probably had a marriage or two under your belt. And like the whole dating process that we experienced when we were young, it's not I'm not going to say it's not needed, but it usually is not they don't, you know, people don't participate in it. They say, okay, I know what I want. You know what you want? Let's get married. Let's get married. And that's what they do. So now Lorianne moves into an apartment with her daughter, Rihanna, and her new husband, Albert. Albert is excited to raise Brianna. He has such a good relationship with her. Brianna's about 16 years old at this time. And he is working two jobs. So he's still a truck driver, but he also works at an auto mechanic shop. So he does that as well to provide for his family. As I've already said, it was a good experience for Albert. He was up to the challenge because now he was, although his children were grown, he was now raising a child with his wife again, with a wife again, and having that cohesiveness within within the household, rearing another child. And he enjoyed it as much as Brianna did. They got along very well and everything was going well for them. But Things are not always as it seems because on November 4, 2009, tragedy stuck or struck. Albert was 56 years old when a 911 dispatcher gets a phone call from Albert's co-worker. Now, before we go into what the co-worker said to the 911 dispatcher, we need to talk about the events of that morning. Albert's supervisor went into work and kind of did his regular routine, opened up his his, uh, shop and wanted to see where his truck drivers were. So he calls Albert and Albert doesn't pick up the phone, which is extremely unusual for Albert. Because in addition to being a nice guy, Albert was a hard worker, but he was very routine. So every morning, Albert would call his supervisor, let him know where he was going, what he anticipated doing for the day. And that was a routine. He always talked to him. So when Albert didn't call him and then when he couldn't get in contact with Albert, he felt like something, something's not right. So he sat down at his computer because all of his trucks were equipped with GPS trackers. He sat down to figure out, okay, where's Albert's truck? And maybe he just decided to go for delivery before he checked in, giving him the benefit of the doubt, not wanting to believe that there was anything wrong. But as soon as he sits down at his computer, he gets a phone call from Albert's wife, Lorianne, and she seems to be in an absolute panic. She's distraught and she's asking the supervisor, hey, listen, have you seen Albert? I'm trying to get in contact with him. He's supposed to be at work, but you know, I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him. And he's trying to calm Lorianne down. He's like, listen, I haven't heard from him, but I'm trying to actually find out where his truck is. So I'm logging on to the computer. I'll be able to tell you more information when I find out something. So he assures her that as soon as he knows something, he'll call her. And he tells her the same thing. Like, if you hear from him in the meantime, in between time, give me a call. He gets off the phone and he actually does locate Albert's truck. But instead of going out there himself, he sends a co-worker who is nearby and who is very acquainted with Albert and their, their friends. They 
Once he gives the go-ahead to the co-worker, the co-worker arrives at the destination where Albert's truck is. And he said that initially nothing seemed to be wrong. Like he walks up and he doesn't see anything with his eye that catches him off guard or, you know, catches his attention. And that is when he opens up the cab of Albert's truck. He notices that Albert's cab is in disarray like there's things all over the cab the front of the cab and that is just not like Albert Albert was a very neat person and if you haven't already picked up Albert probably has an A type personality he does things in order he does things with routine he's a hard worker and so whenever somebody does things with routine it you can almost bet your bottom dollar that they're probably organized and they're not just throwing their stuff wherever but Albert's cab was scattered. And so he, you know, is now suspicious. And as he's looking into the cab towards the back of the cab, he sees Albert. And Albert has his back turned towards his coworker, but he slumped down in a position that almost guarantees that he's probably not alive. He looks at the back of Albert's head and he notices a gunshot wound. He also notices that Albert's hand is in somewhat of this kind of like closet situation inside of his cab. And it looked like Albert was trying to retrieve something before being shot. So immediately, once he sees the situation, he goes no further. He backs out. And that's when this 911 call is placed. After his coworker kind of goes through this ring around the rosy story about how all of this came to be and how he came to arrive on the scene. He waits at the scene for police to arrive and for, you know, EMT to get there because he's not certain that Albert is dead, but he's more convinced than not that Albert is deceased. So police arrive on scene and the scene is immediately secured. Officers could not go and assess Albert's cab until the coroner arrived and removed the body and went ahead and got it out of the way. And I I hate to say out of the way, but removed his body so that they can go then do the autopsy. But then also um, to, to make sure that whatever DNA evidence that was on Albert's body would be preserved and would be in the right, it would be kept in the right way, if that makes sense. So once that body was removed and set to go down to the um, medical examiner's office, they then go in and assess the crime scene. They notice that there are shoe prints outside of the truck and also some shoe prints inside. So they collect that as evidence, hoping to cross-reference anything they may find on the scene or later on in the investigation. They also notice there's a lot of blood coming out of the cab. Now, the co-worker didn't mention that, mention that in his account, but it's something that we should know that this was a bloody scene. It wasn't just something that was um, done cleanly or neatly. It was it was done very sloppily. And there was a lot of blood that was found on the outside of the cab, but also it was found on the engine. So that means that there was blood on the roof on the outside of the vehicle. And if you pulled that up, you would see that there was blood also on the engine. They continue to assess the scene and they see that Albert is on all fours inside this small, small, like makeshift closet, like I mentioned before. And he was actually shot execution style. The police noticed that there was no shell casings found on the scene. And while this isn't like the worst thing, it does help the investigation and help to garner enough evidence Um, to identify the exact model of the gun. So if they do find the gun, they can do a ballistics test and match that particular gun that was used to the shell casings, right? So they didn't find any shell casings on scene, but they believe that the gunshot wound that was um, found um, was probably committed with a revolver. So after the police 
assess all the crime scene, gather all the evidence. They then decide to take Albert's co-worker and his supervisor down to the station to question them for two reasons. One, to rule them out as suspects. And they were pretty sure that they had nothing to do with it. But to do their due diligence, they had to make sure that uh, they did not. And also to kind of try to find out what was going on with Albert before his death. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. They were able to quickly rule out both the supervisor and the co-worker for having any affiliation with Albert's death. They had an alibi. But what they did discover is that Albert always parked his truck in this spot. And the reason being, it was close to his apartment. So you literally could get on the balcony of Albert's apartment and see his truck from across the street. So it was just a convenient spot to park his truck every day. The detectives then asked his coworker who found him, was Albert a messy person? And his coworker said, no, Albert was probably one of the neatest persons he knew. He was very organized. And so they were able to rule out that a robbery took place, not just because of the messiness of the cab, but there was money found in his cab. There were things that um, other miscellaneous items that you would expect for someone to take during a robbery. So they were able to rule out a robbery fairly quickly. But according to his coworker and according to his supervisor, Albert was just a good guy and they couldn't imagine anybody who would want to kill Albert. So police were stumped. And that's when they obviously had to, once the autopsy took place and they were able to definitively say that it was Albert, they went to his next of kin who would be Lorianne. The Riverside Police Department visit Lorianne in her apartment. She was very personable when they first meet. She quickly invites the police officer in and she sits down with her 16-year-old daughter, Brianna, and the detective calmly tells them that Albert is deceased. They were both very upset, as you can imagine, um, And it just seemed to be just a daunting delivery, right? And this particular detective noted that it never gets easy telling family members that their loved one is deceased. Like, you know, there's never, it never, it just never gets easier. It's always hard. It's always difficult. So he kind of stayed there and didn't conduct a formal interview, but it was very informal and just kind of just asked her questions about Albert. That's when she mentioned that Albert had two jobs. He um, worked at a auto mechanic shop and also was a truck driver. Um, She informed them that um, he did not have any life insurance policies that they knew of because they did ask. And she didn't see him or wasn't in touch with him this morning, but she did see him last night. So Detective Jeff ends up leaving her apartment after he conducts his informal interview and kind of just tells her what happened. And he leaves, hoping to find out more information by putting boots on the ground. That's when the detectives and the police department go out And they talk to neighbors. They try to gain some surveillance footage that was around his truck that he parked um, just to see if they were able to figure out, did anybody see anything? Like, was there anything that anybody saw that happened to Albert? That came up yielding nothing. It was a zero result. No one said they saw anything. Their surveillance footage didn't pick anything up that was relevant. And as you know, 
when nothing comes up, when no one is talking, the case becomes cold. But one thing I want to mention about the autopsy is when they conducted Albert's autopsy, they did find bullet fragments and they were able to identify that it was a 38 caliber revolver that did kill him. And it was placed two inches to the back of his head. And they could tell that Albert actually didn't resist. He didn't fight back. So that implies that Albert had no idea that it was coming. You know, he was probably bending over to to retrieve something in that makeshift closet. And before he knew it, he was dead. Somebody killed him. Not only did the did the detective have to talk to Lorianne, who was there in California in Riverside, they also had to contact his family back in Mississippi. And his family and children were totally devastated and extremely upset that, one, Lorianne didn't tell them first. Two, that their father, brother, uncle was deceased. It was just a traumatic dealing because they just talked to him, just communicated with him. And to find out that he was murdered and they had no leads to who did this was upsetting to say the very least. But that's when their family told police that Lorianne's first husband was murdered also back in 1996, March to be exact. He was shot in Inglewood and they gave more of a description of what actually happened to Alan. They said that he was out visiting his niece and that's when he heard a shot. Like he was outside of the home and he heard some shooting in the neighborhood. But there was something in the car they said that wasn't, and Lorianne was with him, let's be clear. Lorianne was ac- accompanied him and she was in the car and she mentioned that Something in the car didn't sound right, and she felt like he should check the hood. Well, when he gets out to check the hood, someone calls his name and shoots him. Lorianne calls EMT and the 911 dispatcher. They are able to take him to the hospital where he is being treated for his wounds. But that's when he later dies at the hospital. He was never able to identify the shooter, and neither was Lorianne. So he passes away at the hospital and Lorianne actually collects $312,000 in life insurance money. So the police are like, okay, just because that happened doesn't mean that she did anything to Albert. But let's kind of like look into this a little bit deeper. Because the family, while they didn't outright say that Lorianne probably did this to Albert, it was kind of implied. Like, back in 96, Alan died. She collected money. And now, in 2004, you know, um, I mean, 2009, I'm sorry, 2009, Albert's murdered. Like, that was enough reason for police to figure out if there was a life insurance policy. And lo and behold, there was. There was a policy for $225,000. But in lieu of the investigation, the insurance company would not approve for the money to go out. They said, well, we have to figure out what was the cause of his death. Was it accidental? Was it murder? We don't know. We have to figure that out first before we can even release funds. Also, that $225,000 would double if it was proved that it was an accidental murder or accidental death. I'm sorry. So as I mentioned before, the detective mentioned when he informed Lorianne that Albert was deceased, he mentioned then, did she have a life insurance policy on Albert? And she simply said no. 
So once they find out she does have a life insurance policy on him and it is going to double if it's proved that it's accidental, accidental death and she's already tried to cash in on it, they go and pay her a visit again. And they ask her like, hey, you said you didn't have any life insurance on Albert. Why did you lie? And she takes it with stride. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I guess I just forgot so much stuff was going on. You know, I just found out my husband was dead and it was a good excuse. Like, it, hey, that could be true. She took it all in stride and showed no sweat. So they go ahead and leave once they know and they talk to the supervisor and are informed that she has tried to cash in on this insurance policy very shortly after she finds out that he's dead. You know, she doesn't wait a month, two months, three months. She literally calls right after his body is done being autopsy and inquires to the supervisor about the life insurance policy. She also had an additional life insurance policy from his auto mechanic job that they had just taken out. And that is the accidental death life insurance policy, which was a total of $225,000. If that was ruled to be accidental, that would have doubled. And then with the additional life insurance policy from his other job, she would have got over a million dollars in life insurance money from Albert's death. But because everything was in question, the first life insurance policy from the truck driving job they said, well, we're going to hold on until the investigation is complete to release any funds. And the other job at the auto mechanics job, the police went ahead and put a hold on that money as well because they had to figure out, did Lorianne have anything to do with it? And as the days went on and more information came out, she seemed more and more suspicious. So when they found out about all these life insurance policies, the total of both of them, they went and confronted Lorianne again. And detectives asked if she would take a polygraph test. She says yes. Shows no sweat again. The police call and ask her to come to the police department at this time to do her polygraph test. And that's when she goes completely ghost. The next thing that the police receive is a letter from her lawyer saying that she will no longer cooperate with the police without her lawyer being present. So that lead, while the police feel like, okay, we have some, there's something here with Lorianne. They're not able to do anything because she lawyers up and they just don't have enough evidence to arrest her or to even take charges to the DA. Okay, so... There's been nothing on the streets. No one has come forward with any information. There's no surveillance footage. They have reached the dead end of all dead ends when it comes to a criminal investigation. But on October 6, 2011, there was a call that came into Riverside PD. There was a young girl who was caught shoplifting and when she was arrested, she told the detectives, I have some information about the murder of Albert Thomas. So police are interested. They're like, okay, there's been no movement on this case for two years. What possibly could this teenage girl say to us about Albert Thomas case? Well, you know, it doesn't hurt to see. They go and meet with a young lady named Shanice Hunter, and she tells them a story that takes them on the wildest ride. She tells them that, you know, she didn't want to be disloyal, but this particular crime had been weighing heavy on her. She informs police that Lorianne is indeed her aunt. And Brianna was her cousin. And she says they were both involved in the murder of Albert Thomas. She said the day before, Brianna and, Brianna and Aunt Lorianne 
were inside of their apartment and she walks in the door and Brianna's holding a revolver. She could tell that it startled both of them and they ask her to leave because they're like, well, we're doing something. You, you need to get out of here. And they rush her out of the door. But being nosy, she decided to kind of stay by the door and listen, because what is Brianna at 16 years old doing with a gun? So she hears Brianna say, do we really have to do this? And Lorianne says to Brianna, yes, because he's about to leave us and we're not going to have any money. So she hears this and I guess, you know, she just thinks that no way, you know how you justify your, you justify things because the alternative is unbelievable. So you can't believe the unbelievable. You rather just say, oh, this must be a crazy mistake. You know, they didn't necessarily say Albert. So they didn't, you know, she thought they were maybe talking about Albert, but just really didn't know if they were indeed talking about Albert. So the day of his murder, Shanice is still at their home and Lorianne, Brianna, and Albert take a walk, which was very routine for them. Like after dinner, they would decide to, you know, let's go take a walk around the neighborhood. Let's get around. Let's just do what we have to do. But this walk took longer than usual. That's when Shanice gets a phone call from Brianna that tells her that she needs to get Lorianne's keys and come pick them up by a nearby school. Well, she does just that. And Lorianne informs her that she needs to drive them back to their apartment. And Brianna is instructed by Lorianne to take off her clothes. Both her and Lorianne take off their clothes and throw them in the dumpster. And police are like, this is sounding right. It's fitting the narrative that already exists. But in order to nail her to the wall we need more evidence so police go to Brianna's school and talk with her Shanice then puts on a wire and goes and visits her aunt Lorianne and she tells Lorianne listen auntie you know I I just was at Brianna's school I saw in the office that police are questioning her I don't know this whole thing could fall apart that's when Aunt Lorianne looks up at Brianna and says, something's not right. Somebody's telling, and I believe the snitch is you because you're the only one that knew what happened. And she implies that she and Brianna are about to leave. And the police have no other choice, but because they're listening, they're like, oh my gosh, we cannot allow them to leave. We have to arrest them. We have to do something. So they arrest Lorianne and and to be fair, they arrest Shanice too, but only to make it look like, you know, maybe Shanice isn't the snitch, right? And they also arrest Brianna. That's when the police conduct their interviews down at the police station. And Brianna at this time is 18 years old. She eventually admits that Lorianne killed Albert. She said that Lorianne confronted Albert and, you know, pulled the trigger when they were out on their walk, convinced him to go to his cab and get something. And while he was there, she ended up pulling the trigger. They then confront Lorianne and they say, hey, listen, you might as well give it up. OK, Brianna's already told us that you killed Albert. She never admits to it. She never says you know what? I did this by myself. Brianna had nothing to do with it. She throws her daughter right on up underneath that bus. You hear me? And she just says, you know, I'm not talking. No, absolutely not. They said her disposition was very carefree. She could, she could care less that her daughter, her 18 year old daughter, who was just starting her life was caught up in the criminal justice system because she decided to include her on the murder of her stepfather, Albert. 
So police have enough evidence and they charge both Brianna and Lorianne with first degree murder, conspiracy of murder, and lying in wait for financial gain. That is when the detectives call Albert's family and inform them that they have made an arrest in the murder of their father, brother, uncle, son. The family was completely shocked. But let me double back. Some of the family was shocked. Others weren't because they already kind of suspected Lorianne to begin with. So to find out that she ultimately executed her plan in murdering Albert, some of them were not shocked. But they were even more surprised that Brianna was involved in his murder. So the police needed to, they, you know, police never stop get, getting more or trying to obtain more evidence. They always try to obtain as much evidence as possible because that will ensure that once the trial goes to, once it goes on trial, that they'll get a conviction. So Lori Ann Hunter actually obtains a gun, the gun that she used to murder Albert. She obtains that gun from a church member. You heard right. A church member. They found this out through her niece, Shanice. And Shanice tells them, yeah, that's where she got the gun. They then find out who this church member is and they get a warrant. That's when they already had some of the shell casings from the autopsy that was performed. And they then conduct a ballistic test with the church member's gun. And you guessed it. It was the same gun that shot Albert. So police have all this evidence and trial is set to begin very soon. They keep trying to make a deal with Brianna because they feel like while Brianna might have been present, she didn't commit the murder. They firmly believe that Lorianne carried out the murder, but they wanted to offer her a deal to get her to testify against her mother, to have an unclad, you know, state's evidence to make sure that they could pin her to the wall. But... Lorianne was constantly sending letters to Brianna, trying to encourage her not to tell. In those same letters, she suggested that she was going to get somebody to kill Shanice. And while probably Brianna like shook that off and just felt like maybe her mom was just talking, Lorianne wasn't. Lorianne actually was trying to get someone to murder her niece because Shanice was one of the state's star witnesses. And if she could kill Shanice, she felt like she had a better chance of actually beating the charges that were before her. So on September 13, 2017, she actually recruited another jail, another prisoner, to help her with the murder for hire. So this person went on and became a they informed a police informant. They became a police informant and they set her up and she was going to execute the plan to murder her niece. So not only was she charged with first degree conspiracy, murder, lying in wait for financial gain, she was then charged for attempted murder. Does it ever end? Lorianne does it ever end? So they offer leniency to Brianna. They give her a deal. So in exchange for her testimony, she would get less time. And they figured out that essentially what happened is that Lorianne was obsessed, obsessed with money. Okay. And even though Albert was working two jobs trying to keep up with her lifestyle. It wasn't enough. So she actually forged Albert's signature on that second life insurance policy that I mentioned that went through his auto mechanic job. She did not just attempt murder that day. She had tried to kill him three other times. 
However, on November 4th, 2009 was the best time that she could actually go ahead and execute the murder. Lorianne decided that that was the day that she was going to shoot Albert. And it's alleged that Albert was trying to leave her because the financial stress of the marriage was just too much. And can you blame him? After all, he was working two jobs and Lorianne was working zero. Brianna testified against her mother and in August 2017, she was found guilty on all charges and she was sentenced to the death penalty. In December 2017, Brianna pled guilty to three counts of attempted murder and manslaughter, and she was given 18 years and nine months. The family felt, Albert's family felt like they received justice. And they remember him as such a good man, a father, a friend, a worker, a co-worker. And Tasha, Albert's oldest daughter, says that she does forgive Lorianne and Brianna. She says because it only breeds contempt and anger if she was to hold on to the hurt of them carrying out the murder of her father. In 2019, um, there was no investigation done on Allen's, or I should say by 2019, there was no investigation done on Allen's death, her first husband. She was never charged with his murder. But as you can imagine, she probably more than likely was responsible. Brianna will be 33 when she's up for parole, which she's up for parole in 2026. So that's actually coming up here pretty soon. That is the case of Albert Thomas. You guessed it. We're at our favorite part here at Murder in the Black, which is takeaway. So my takeaway for this case is number one, this case took forever. Y'all, y'all, this was like the never ending case. Right when I thought they had Lorianne, she found a way to get away or there just wasn't any evidence about her. But just like our grandmother say, or our mother say, or have said, Anything that's done in the dark, oh, baby, it's going to come to the light. And it may not come today, tomorrow, two years from now, six years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but it's going to come. It's going to show up. And Lorianne really felt like she was going to get away with it. And the reason why I believe Lorianne murdered her husband, Alan, is because police never were able to find anybody Uh, you know, and they just kind of concluded that it was a random act of violence. I think that empowered her. She felt like, oh my goodness. Okay. I didn't get caught. I was able to get $312,000. Bet. I could do this again. And she was out on the hunt trying to find another person to give her or to finance her life. She didn't want to get a traditional job. You guys heard what I said before. She never Emphasis on never had a job. Never. And she didn't want a job. She used men as jobs. Y'all, you can't make this stuff up. She literally used men to get money. I mean, y'all, that just, just sit with that for a second. This lady, <laughs> this lady said, I'm not going to get no job. Nine to five. Mm, we ain't doing no nine to five. But what we will do is kill a man in cold blood. And not only that, it's like you couldn't get a man and be content. First of all, they were about to have another grown child, right? All their children were about to be out of the household. Brianna was 16. 
In another two years, she was going to be out of the household. Albert was working two jobs. My God, you couldn't get one, one job. You know, y'all, you can't make it up. The craziness, the, the lengths that people will go to, to get money. You know, and people often, you know, they often mess up this scripture verse. But it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not getting money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And she loved money. You know, let's just take it back to when Alan was married to her. And at the 10-year mark, they started to have issues, financial issues, because for her, she wanted a standard of lifestyle. And although he was giving her a good standard of lifestyle, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. She kept saying, "Mm, nope, it's not enough. It's not enough. She was like, okay, bet. I need to just kill you so I can get a lump sum. And then I can go be a glorified maid for my friends and parents and leech off of them. And then I'm going to marry Albert in this short period of time, trap him. And then once he doesn't do it for me anymore, I'm just going to kill him. Y'all, that this case was beyond frustrating for me because it was just so unbelievable. Unbelievable that people would use life insurance policies as a means to sustain their lifestyle. Wild. Absolutely wild. And just because you get away with something one time doesn't mean that you will continually get away with it. And that is what eventually caught her up. So you guys heard me say that usually when you are older you probably and you're dating, you probably got a marriage under your belt. You've done it. You've been around the block before. But it is so imperative that you get a chance to know the person that you're dating. Because the longer that you date them, the more red flags you'll see, Okay. Or the more things you'll see that you're like, okay, I can't put up with that. I can't do that. Or she has a high appetite. She lives high on the hog. I can't be with her. Her expectations are unrealistic financially. And by no means am I victim shaming. But I think it's important to draw lessons from these stories that we hear. It's not just about getting those families justice. It's about learning from different things that they could have done differently inside of the cases and Albert quickly married her Lorianne made sure she quickly entrapped this man she had a history of not working and just because a person doesn't work doesn't mean they're gonna try to kill you for your life insurance policy but you know if he would have just maybe even known about Alan in the background that existed maybe maybe he would not have but I think ultimately Just because you have some experience with marriage doesn't mean that you should just quickly get married and fall into another one. Marriage is something that should be taken very seriously and should be entered in cautiously. And I just think that, man, you know, she really made sure that at every step of the game, what looked like she just was falling in love with love was like, no, I'm trying to secure the bag so I don't have to work and I can get me a man who works. And I can chill at the house, whether my kids be young, grown, or not. And she clearly had these men in a chokehold because, my goodness, they were willing to do just about anything for her. Two, three jobs. Goodness, stressing these people out. And it's just so sad that they were never able to seek conviction of the first murder that she committed. Because you can't convince me she did not kill Alan. So really, this is not just a story about Albert Thomas, but also a story about Alan, Alan Brown. So that is that, guys. Um, I have to say that this case was very sad. Um, Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I forgot to touch on 
Lorianne and her selfishness. The fact that she would bring her daughter, her young, impressionable daughter, in on a murder plot and then kick her daughter right up underneath that bus and said, stay there. I am not assuming any responsibility, even though I brought you into this situation. I just think, man, that shows that she is a cold-hearted manipulator who doesn't care about the people around. She's constantly using people, whether it be her daughter, her, her husband's for life insurance. She doesn't care about anybody but Lori Ann. Ugh, disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. So you guys have to tell me what you thought about this case. Have you heard of this case? This was a new case for me. I never heard about it. Never knew about it. Um, But it did indeed happen. So tell me what you guys think about this case. Make sure that you send us any case suggestions on our Instagram. And make sure if you are on Facebook, you go and give our fan page a like and keep up with all the good stuff that we're doing until next time this is murder in the black